You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, once again, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. I think this is the latest that we've ever recorded the podcast. It's already Friday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, at four o'clock. Rig- it's been a day. Wrigley's anxious, and he wants to go home. It has been a day. It has but been. You succeeded in two uh, driving programs. Two IRP hearings today. Yep. So, yep. good for you. Yep, resolved a, a criminal day. file as well. Lots of work. Yeah. So. Well. Um, speaking of people who are having a day, let's talk about people on Vancouver Island right now. Oh, my goodness. They're having a day. Yeah. So, I mean, the forest fire situation is is not going to get better. It happens to be raining right now in Vancouver, which is... Uh, good. Good. And right now, very rare. Uh, looking at the forecast, it's not going to be raining again for uh, a while. And it hasn't rained for like a month. Mm-hmm. And... The forests are like bone dry. Um, And so we've got a fire on Vancouver Island right now, which has got some highways closed. Do you know which highways are closed? You're the island gal. I don't know what the number of the highway, but it's the highway that goes into Port Alberni, Tofino, Euclid area. So that's the one one with Cathedral Grove Park along it. And uh, I'm hoping that it's not in the park because those trees are... uh, we would, precious. we would know if uh, it was there. But um, the highway's been closed, and apparently there is a back route in, but it's gravel roads. It's hundreds of kilometers. They it's are single lane, and it's private. Forest service road. No, it's lane. not a forest service road. It's actually a, no, it's a private, road. It's a private um, logging road owned by a logging company. So it's not a forest service road. And people have been saying, well, the government should be opening this road up. So that people can get in and out of the community, they can get things that they need. But the government has said that they're not going to compel, I mean, they could compel the company to make the road available. But it has been, it is being used. I heard on the radio, it is being used. It's For essential long-term. services. For essential only. services. And the only way they can get vehicles in there was with a pilot vehicle. So, uh, difficult situation, and this is a problem in much of BC, and if you're in the rest of the country, you're probably thinking this is absurd because there's more than one way to get into most communities, but we discovered, and or at least it was brought to our attention when we had the flooding um, the uh, two years ago in, uh, in October, November, uh, in the valley here and all over BC when the Coca-Cola was basically wiped out, that we have really limited routes to get around to certain parts of the province, many places there's only one road yep uh to get in and it's purely a result of geography of our mountains um and you know you think about the mountain passes that were uh, originally uh, <laughs> <laughs> that the indigenous people knew about and and brought the first uh Europeans through those are it in many places yeah the um you know and this raises an interesting question i mean yesterday <laughs> mo and I talked about this on Soapbox Social a bit about whether this sort of forest fire situation is the new normal. And it is. And Mo made a really good point, which is that you have to, if if the government 
recognizes that this is the new normal, that this is what it's going to be every summer. And this has been every summer for the last five years with increasing worsening. worsening. Well, we had, we had one summer where it wasn't really bad, but the rest of the time it's like feels like the surreal end of the world. Yeah. And smoke like this. Yeah. I mean, it's like a scene from The Last of Us. Yeah. But if that's the situation that we're in, then we have an obligation to build the infrastructure to get people more ways to access their communities and more ways to leave their communities. And we've seen infrastructure problems with roadways before. We, you know, when the flooding happened, we had the entire sort of lower mainland of BC was cut off from the rest of the world by road. Yeah. Uh, and also the export of goods from the lower mainland of BC. We yeah, grow food. We, we grow food all winter long here, and we export that to Al Alberta and the, uh, the interior of BC. No, it, it's going to be a problem. The other thing is uh, preparing for these circumstances. You know, the gas stations in Port Alberni are going to run out of gas. Mm -hmm. The gas stations in Euclid and Tofino and those places are going to run out of gas. Um, and it's, it won't take long. And, and then what happens when you need to get up and go and you've got no gas? Well, you can't get up and go. Yeah. And you burn to death. There you go. Like it's, it's, well, it's, if a, it's a forest fire coming at you. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Another issue. But I mean, just to survive and, and get around, uh, in your community if you're isolated. Mm -hmm. So is the government going to have to, um, look at making, ensuring gas stations have twice as big tanks in these locations where... <laughs> you know, they already regulate that. Uh, gas station tanks are heavily regulated. Uh, one wonders. Uh, but this is uh, climate change, of course, related. At least that's what we're told. And it makes perfect sense that it would be. But one way or another, even if it isn't, we see the increasing uh, number of these uh, significant fire incidents. And we got a problem. We do have a problem. I think BC needs to craft better legislation overall to deal with the human causes of fires. Like even though we've had fires that are obviously just natural wildfires that start, which happened long, 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 long ago as well. We also have a lot of human caused fires by people being negligent. And I don't think our restrictions and our regulations on that are strict enough and if we increased the penalties for doing things that cause these fires, we could subsidize the cost of the infrastructure changes to our road systems that we need to make to make these sort of the the roads better to respond to climate change. I disagree entirely. You know and I know that that fines don't deter people from bad behavior for the this most This isn't part. about deterring people. It's this the, is about taxing people for the, the cost. At, well, what are you going to get, $2,000 out of them because they they committed started a forest fire by mistake? This does not discourage them. And remember, we are in a province where there used to be a sign that, that where there was a noose hung saying the person who did this should be... Maybe they should put the noose back up. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how you drive home that issue to people, but, the, you know, there's a greater population. There's more and more people who are going to be out in the forest. There's more and more people out in the forest with ATVs. There's more and more people out in the forest with less knowledge about um, living in, in the forest situation. I mean, we, I had, went to school. We had hunter education training. Mm -hmm. They trained us not to do these things. Mm -hmm. I don't think kids have that anymore. No. Um, and so, you know, this is an issue to me, more of education and not of, uh, of fines, but 
you know, you can be that knee-jerk person who says, we just got to increase the fine. It's not a knee-jerk person when it's been five years of this same situation and worsening and other events, snow-related highway closures, flood-related highway closures, fire-related highway closures. At some point, we have to put the money into the infrastructure and we have to compensate we have to that, but when for you're, it. But when you're talking about like, like punishing people differently. Yeah, to pay it back. Okay, well, I'm. We can agree to disagree. Could be a restitution order. I just think that um, you know, I think people are so terrified of causing a fire. Most people that they're careful about it. Some people are not careful about it. Okay. They're, they're called jerks. All right, okay. but I don't think a fine is going to deter their behavior. Speaking of deterring behavior, Paul. Yes. Do you know what has been consistently shown to deter drunk driving behavior? I know some things, but I think you're going to... Clear and consistent roadblocks that are visible to the public. That's true. Um, and it's a funny thing because people get upset when uh, when when callers on the radio or, or, or the radio station announces, oh, they've been speed traps on Southwest Marine Drive. They're speed traps. And actually... <laughs> It's quite effective to get people to slow down, which is the whole idea in the first place. And in the U.S., in many jurisdictions, they're required to pre-announce where they're going to do a roadblock because you're entitled to avoid being detained um, by the police if you know about it. And th those announcements have the effect of deterring people because they say, well, there's going to be a roadblock here and here and here, but there's also going to be roving police. And they have the effect of deterring people from drinking and driving. We know it works. Roadblocks are effective. And we're getting into the summer counterattack season. But one place we probably won't be seeing much summer counterattack action is Surrey. Yeah. And it's purely, <laughs> it's purely, purely, purely political. Oh, my God. Politics. You know, when they announced, I don't know if you remember this, but when they announced uh, back in the Doug McCallum days that they were going to transition to a Surrey police force, you and I did an episode of the podcast on what implications this might have for driving enforcement in Surrey. And our predictions have come true. Yes. Well, one of the predictions was during the transition period... Um, who is going to take responsibility for enforcing traffic laws and who is going to take responsibility for enforcing drinking and driving laws. Now, it costs money to set up roadblocks. Roadblocks are big and visible. You have numerous officers out there. You've got to organize it. You've got to get out there with signs. It means there are officers who set up small roadblocks from time to time, but for the most part. you got to have all the ASDs properly calibrated. you got to you got to be prepared for traffic control. Yep. So um, the a lot of times the roadblocks are financed, uh, you know, by ICBC or it's just, you know, the the police have their regular calendar of things. OK, this week we're going to do this. We did it last year this week. We did it. You know, we do it every year on this week. Well, we're not seeing roadblocks nope. in Surrey. Nope. And we can speculate about the reasons, but some police officers have also speculated with us about the reasons. And it seems to be that nobody wants to pay for it. Yeah. The, the Surrey police don't want to pay for it because they're trying to desperately get as many 
police officers as possible to prove to this municipality of Surrey that they can do the hiring and put the members on the roads and they don't want to spend extra dollars doing roadblocks. Make it happen. The RCMP don't want to, you know, spend extra money in Surrey right now on roadblocks when they're getting, you know, looks like they're getting kicked out. Um, And then working together, the Surrey police and the RCMP, well, they do. They do. We do see it. We see, you know, somebody is stopped and somebody else is dispatched to come and cover. But a coordinated enforcement mechanism on traffic? No. No. The other thing um, that, you know, this chaotic situation is doing is it's causing a lot of members of either of the forces to leave. I know a lot of people that went to Surrey police from other municipal and RCMP forces when the Surrey police came out who have since returned. Well, because of the uncertainty. Yeah. Um, And same with RCMP officers. There's RCMP officers that are like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to be, you know. I'm uh, transferring to a different. Relocated to northern Saskatchewan or something like that when I'm originally from from Richmond. Yeah. And they can't guarantee me a job in the lower mainland. Yeah. So they can deploy me wherever they want because this is the RCMP contract. And of course, we have huge social issues in Surrey. Um, you know, Surrey has many of the same social issues as you see in the downtown east side in various parts of Surrey. You have, um, you know, police needing to investigate important things like sexual assault, domestic violence and gang violence. The last thing they need to spend money on is putting people out at a roadblock for six or eight hours where they're going to be off the road, off the calls and just weaving random cars down. But I have to tell you one thing that people don't necessarily know in BC, um, police officers are expected, expected to stop and detain and investigate and issue driving prohibitions and arrests for a certain number of drinking driving cases every year, every year. It's not a quota. It's not a quota, but, but it's, it's a, a quota. quota. <laughs> um, it's it's got a name. Uh, you have to be on a Lexus team. You have to get a, a a number that is set out for you in order to get on a Lexus team, so you can have a reward ceremony, and you can have a uh, get a little Shot. acknowledgement. Fifteen members of the West Vancouver Police Department were named to a Lexus team for excellence in drunk driving. So it's PR for each different police detachment and and senior officers tell junior officers, hey, man, you better hurry up and get some. I mean, it's not that hard. No, it's, it's 12 in a year. It's not that hard. I could I could get 12 in a shift probably if I were a cop. I, I bet if I were a police officer, I could get three or four in a shift yeah. and I could fill out an IRP form in no time and all the people would provide a sample and I'd be doing it correctly. But the in any event, that's not the point. The point is what we're seeing in order to make this quota yeah. is, is just nailing people driving out of bars. And it's the least reliable testing you can have is that circumstance. Because everybody crawling out of the bar is going to do the stupid thing that if you are listening to this podcast, you should not do. The police officer is going to pull you over. They're going to go, when was the last time you had a drink? And you're going to say, two hours ago. Meanwhile, you just had a sip as you're walking out because you're not even thinking about it. And you think you're going to tell the officer something that they want to hear and that that maybe you'll be able to escape it. Please just don't answer the question. Like you just, you don't have to answer it. You can stay silent. And people ask me that a lot. They say, you know, in TikTok often I give this advice and they always say, well, what do I say instead? Like literally nothing. You say nothing. Like I don't. Provide your driver's license, confirm who you are 
and then say nothing. And they then ask say you nothing. any other questions, say nothing. Your silence can never be held against you. So it's... What? Yeah, go ahead. What can be held against you is if you lie. And if you admit that you had something two minutes ago, you're going to be tested and you run the risk that the officer doesn't wait the appropriate period of time. And I know for the police officers listening, because you listen to this podcast, you know what to do and you're trying hard to do it correctly. But I just had a case, two cases this week, both cases. The person admitted consuming alcohol very recently and the officer did not wait a full 15 minutes before administering the test. Both cases tainted samples. So back to Surrey, um, you know, it's the fish and hole. Uh, the, you can go to the, uh, the lake that's stocked with fish, uh, which is basically parking outside of the bar. Um, you're going to get people, you're going to be issuing them IRPs. They may not have, have, uh, been, a, uh, blown a sample that was, uh, reflective of their blood alcohol concentration. It may have been tainted because of mouth alcohol roadblocks, um, of course have that deterrent effect. Uh, and you also are less likely generally to have tainted samples, but in Surrey, there's no roadblocks because nobody wants to pay for them. And police, in order to keep their numbers up, uh, appear to be doing the, uh, the, the, the old fishing hole, parking outside of the, of the bars and getting people who are not truthful with them about the time of their last drink and, and ultimately end up with a uh, unreliable sample. And somebody who's punished who shouldn't be punished because mm-hmm. it's an unreliable sample. And it's a, it's a section eight violation of the charter to take uh, a sample in circumstances where you know that it's uh, not a sample suitable for analysis, but mm-hmm. you know if the person lies to you because they think that they're telling you something that's going to help them, mm-hmm. um, then um, you know it's not a charter violation, and they end up punished. Yep. Not so what people want to see. The other chaos that we see in Surrey that relates to driving law is. It's impossible to get records. I'm trying to request breathalyzer calibration records, as we do, and I sent a request to Surrey police. I see Surrey police officers performing calibration checks because I see them on the calibration check sheets. And when I sent a request, an FOI request, to the Surrey police, which is a public body, the response I got was, oh, we're not the police of jurisdiction, so we don't have to disclose those records. Now, last time I checked, the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act didn't say that a public body is police of jurisdiction, but in fact, a public body. Yes. (laughs) Publicly funded body. (laughs) Yes. Um, Just because you're not the police of jurisdiction doesn't mean you have some exemption from providing copies of your documents. And in fact, you are required to under provincial legislation. The RCMP has to provide documents upon request pursuant to federal legislation, um, although it is incredibly frustrating. Oh, and, forever. and I can understand, like, the governments do not want to put money into FOI requests, but, you know, you're going up basically against journalists, right? Yeah. And they are, they've got the ability to r- report the story about how everybody's getting screwed. Well, when we write to get something from the RCMP, we pretty much expect it's going to be a year before we get a response. Yes, um, so interesting because it means there's little, there's sort of difficulty overseeing as, as we do our job of oversight, yes. <laughs> our, our unofficial job title of overseers of the police. <laughs> the Surrey police were not the expecting watchmen. freedom of information requests is what it yeah, seems. Apparently. And you don't have a, 
They don't have uh, people tasked with that as they do in New West. You know, we send a request to New West and New West we will send us the document, send, send them a request. I've got it from West Vancouver. They send it to us. They know what they're doing yeah. and they might not be giving us everything. We'll never know, but, but at least they have At least some, they give us something. They, well, they have some idea what their obligation is. Yeah. So. But the Surrey police apparently do not understand what their obligation is there. So if you're a journalist and you want to test this out, send a Send an FOI to the Surrey Detachment and see what you get. Yes, the Surrey Police. Surrey Police, rather, yes. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's chaos in Surrey, in driving law in Surrey. Uh, I would not recommend violating the law, but the, you know, the chances the enfor- of getting... Enforcement is very different. Enforcement is very different right now in Surrey. Yes. Um, probability of getting a cell phone ticket in Surrey is probably lower than it would be in other places. And I, you know, I know I've been harping on this on every podcast, but I want to complain about it again. My God, people have been terrible with their cell phones lately. And and, and just, just driving in general. Speaking of enforcement, one thing that you should always remember, Paul. What's that? Cops are mean. Oh, my goodness. Which brings me to the, the ridiculous driver of the week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. Cops are not all mean, Matt. Of course you don't mean that. (laughs) And why I said it will make sense in a minute. When I tell you about a Florida woman (laughs) who was at a gas station... Um, she pulled into the gas station after traveling 84 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone, uh, drove recklessly through the parking lot, then ran a stop sign, turned south onto U.S. Uh, Route 441, which is like a highway that runs along the Florida Peninsula. And the police vehicle, the police officer follows her. Um, she gets up to 115 miles per hour. So she apparently wasn't aware of the police officer until she was in that parking lot. Yes. And then she sees the police car and then she takes takes, takes off. off. Takes off. Takes off at like an extremely high rate of speed uh, before ultimately losing control in a turn and crashing into a parked car. So you're expecting that she's like maybe got contraband in the car or she's drunk or something alligators sure yeah yeah i mean it's florida python under the back seat yeah all things we've seen before but no no when uh the officers arrested her and she fought obviously um and they asked her why 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 did you run there's just a You're speeding investigation like other gonna, than speeding you were gonna get a speeding ticket she said well, my uncle said that cops are mean. <laughs> it's actually not dissimilar to things I sometimes say in traffic court to police officers when they're like, I don't understand why your client hired you for this ticket. It's like, because you guys are mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, police, um, I can tell you almost universally, if you're a police officer listening to this, the, our clients will contact us and tell us most of the time that the police officer was mean. Or that the police officer was lovely. It's sort of the two extremes. Yeah. Um, if <laughs> and and it seems to depend as much on the on the person's personality as it is the officer. And there are some officers we get the same report over. Right, every time they say the same officers mean. Well, I'm assuming that officer was probably as mean. Yeah, at the roadside. If it's consistent, 
Um, but uh, yeah, the uh, people just don't seem to understand their obligations these days. And uh, one wonders if it's the education system, if it's the internet, if it's there, everybody's got an uncle. The water in Florida. Could be the water in Florida. It could be the uncles. It could just be an issue full on with the uncles. Yeah, don't talk to your uncles, folks. <laughs> yeah. And if your uncle tells you the cops are mean and therefore you conclude that you shouldn't stop, don't listen to them. Pull over and stop. Provide your driver's license. Confirm then, who you are and, and then, then keep your up. damn mouth shut. <laughs> you know how you, you deal with cops who are mean? You don't give them information. Um, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I like joking with the police officers that... But they're mean. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, they're usually lovely to us in traffic court. Yeah. So, I, and I appreciate it. And I thank them for telling us about what's going on in Surrey. Yes. And other places. So, that's our podcast. If you need to reach us about a driving law related issue, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604 685 8889. Or tune in next week to another episode of Driving Law.